Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Robot and Stevel from the Cycling Independent, episode 13, Hot Tech. Oh, you didn't include the notes, so I'm going to just say if <laughs> I've been reading uh, our disclaimer, and I just realized I don't have a disclaimer in front of me. So uh, what we discuss is not for mature ears. Um, immature if, ears. Immature, immature, immature ears. Get your children out of the room. <clears throat> If you're sensitive uh, or you don't like the topics that we discuss, we might use bad words. We might use offensive phrasing. We might. We, we ultimately, if if you um, you know, if you feel like you might get butt hurt about anything, tune away. <laughs> and uh, including and, the term butt hurt. <laughs> come back. Come back later. <laughs> the disclaimer can't have disclaimable shit in it. Come on. <laughs> I'm not good at I'm not good at this. That's anyway, okay. we still love you. Something, something, something. I don't something, remember something. how it's supposed to go. Yeah. So here we are. Once here again. We so this episode is about bicycle technology. Yeah, which is actually, you know, uh, I don't generally care about it one way or another. But after I read over the notes this morning and I just started thinking about it, it actually I do have some thoughts about it. Um, <laughs> so it turns out this might this might be uh, this might be kind of a fun episode for us. Uh, before we get into that, though, um, Robot has undertaken a pretty substantial uh, uh, endeavor in Georgia over the course of the last week, and I'd like to hear about that. Um, yeah, I ran 30 miles in the hot, humid Georgia woods for no good reason. Not That's being chased by anybody. Without being chased, without owing anybody money, um, without believing in God or, <laughs> or raising money for somebody worthy, <laughs> just for and no fucking reason at all. And you did it. Thirty. I mean, thirty miles. Uh, thirty miles is a lot of miles to be on your feet. So fucking many. So you started. You felt pretty good. The starting shot went off. You're around yep. a bunch of other people, presumably wearing dolphin shorts with yeah, numbers everyone, pinned on tank it's tops. Like a, it's like a clown circus at the start. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so five miles in, you're thinking, Oh, going real good. All right, five miles. You yeah. can do five miles when you when you run when you set yourself up for a thirty mile race. You probably five miles is no big deal. Well, you know, like you're worried. <laughs> you're you're in the perfect scenario. You're just in the fifth mile. You're just running the fifth mile. You're just like you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm just where I am. But in reality, you're like, am I going too fast? Is this too fast? This might be too fast. Hey, it's really pretty here. Oh. That's distracting. I might be going too fast. I should slow down. That's what you're thinking at five miles. Yeah, because you got to pace yourself, right? You do. And this this race is three laps, right? <clears throat> so y you naturally break that down into thirds in your mind. So five miles, I'm doing real well. Ten miles, I'm thinking, hey, yeah, this is this is um, we're right on track. I could probably do two more of these. I think I can do two more of these. I probably can't do them as fast as I did that first one. But, you know, you're excited at the beginning mm -hmm. and there's all that clown circus energy. So you're like and, you know, you're seeing the trail for the first time. You don't know when the climbs are coming. So you run too fast until you get to those. It's, you make a lot of mistakes in the first lap. But I mean, I think they're perfectly acceptable and whatever mistakes. Yeah. And this is this is open road and trail and not it's, trail it's all it's all just, trail there's a little bit of scrambling there's some not trail that's just ribbons in the woods okay um so you you cross into your second 10 mile yep. third 
Yeah. Second lap, I'm feeling pretty good at the beginning. And then very rapidly, I I fall apart. Well, probably, probably around thir- mile 12 or 13. I come to the first big climb and I'm I have this. We've talked about this on past shows. I had this dehydration problem. Yeah, it's dehydration or it's a it's a cardiac thing. Did it's you not say? cardiac. The doctor told me it's not cardiac, but okay. it, it fucking might as well be because it makes me want to stab myself in the heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I fell apart. I fell apart at mile 13 on like the, the big climb. And I really thought I'm fucked. There's no way I can make another 17 miles in this condition. And um, my friends who I was running with kind of kept me moving. And uh, I had a little emotional moment where I issued an all purposes apology to everyone for everything (laughs) (laughs) for my existence. (laughs) Guys, I'm just so sorry. You sort of you sort of uh, devolve into your like most emotional 13 year old self. Well, you know what? I would have said, yes, I thought that I devolved into that. But actually, later, things got um, I I I reached an emotional place that I don't know when I have been there before. And it was agonizing and beautiful, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I march out the rest of lap two. Little bit of running, maybe I was just trying to keep moving forward, really. And I was kind of like. I don't know. It's weird. I, as miserable as it was, I was like, there's not, I'm not going to not start lap three. Um, so I finished lap two in bad shape, but then I like changed my shoes and took my shirt off. Uh, so I could not, so I could sweat less maybe. I don't know, but I started to feel better. And then I was moving pretty well again until that climb uh, and then I fell apart again. <laughs> <laughs> and there wasn't much there to fall apart. So <laughs> I didn't know that it could go that way. So uh, then I just was like a moving zombie. And what was bizarre about it was there were long stretches of it that I wouldn't even say were hard. It's like I was a husk. I had become a husk of myself, but something in my reptile brain just made the husk move through space. I don't even know what happened. I I don't know what happened. And then and then actually as bad as that felt. And I so another one of my friends fell behind and I was trying to wait for her. And when I stopped, I would start to black out. Wow. Like I stopped to just to wait for her. Now she couldn't have been more than 30 seconds behind me, but I like put my hand on a tree and everything closed into darkness and then opened again and then closed. And I was like, mm. oh no. So I picked my head up and I started moving again. And I was like, oh, that was super fucked up. Uh, and then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't have put my head down. So in the next time I stopped, probably another minute later, I kept my head up, but it happened again. And then I started to worry, oh, if I get to the finish, but my blood pressure is so low that I can't stop because I'll pass out. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't want EMTs coming here for me. But what can you do about it at the at the time? I just kept going. Um, things Which can either, you know, you can either work through it or or you <clears throat> or you die. I mean, those are, you know, like either like if you you, that's kind of a um, it's kind of a uh, a little bit of a a gamble and and not that you will actually actually die. But I suppose that would be not outside of the realm of possibility. Right. Like if you're if you're having a a potential blackout moment. Yeah. Anything's possible. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. But I also thought, like, what are the options? No one's coming into the woods to get me. I can't stop. Or I don't know that it seemed far fetched that they would. It didn't seem like a good um, strategy. (laughs) Stop and see who will help you. Not the best option. No. So I anyway, I 
then you know the last um the last mile i i became aware that i was going to make it and i got really emotional but not in a like happy or sad way i was crying i did cry there was i sobbed a bit um i saw some friends near the finish and they were like you're going to make it and i was like i know i'm going to make it and then as soon as i got by them i i like i sort of lost it wow and and the thing about it was that it wasn't like when I was crying, it wasn't relief or sadness. It was just crying. It was just like it was I just feel like I traveled to this um, place where there was only emotion. If there's one thing that I've learned, uh, it's almost like a bloodletting. Yeah. You know, like you have all of this, this pent up. Uh, energy, you know, and, and you gotta, you gotta let it go. And it doesn't have to be a happy cry or a sad cry. It can just be an emotional overflowing. And it's totally, I think it's totally, it's a totally healthy expression. It was so cathartic. Yeah. You know, like I didn't want to keep crying and I didn't want to just be that, but it was okay, you know, and I was, I was, I wouldn't say it was happy crying, but I was happy to be crying, if and that makes that, any sense. And finished with this event yeah. too, right? Yeah, I sat down on a stump. There were, it was, we finished by this thing in this national park and they had cut a tree and there was a stump and I just sat on the stump and cried for a bit. And, uh, yeah. So wow. it, it was quite an experience, I, I, I can tell you, and I'm, a, I'm not myself yet. No, I'd imagine that would take, <clears throat> you know, I've never, fuck, I can't run. I mean, when I, when I do run, it's not for any distance. Uh, and I can't imagine doing that. I can't imagine running for as long as it would take to complete 30 miles. But It, it was just under eight hours, yeah. Certainly riding a bike for great distances as I have and getting done with it. And it takes you, you know, I can't sleep after a big effort, you know, because your heart rate gets all jacked up and you're all buzzy. And then uh, and then you're exhausted the next day because you didn't sleep and then your muscles. And it's there's so many things that uh, there's so many things that go on with you physiologically yeah, I'm sure it'll, it'll take you a little while, but that's exciting. And I'm happy to hear about the details and congratulations. I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't die. Thanks, man. I'm glad I didn't die too. <laughs> so today, thank you for sharing, yeah. by the way. Uh, yeah. Today, we're going to talk about bicycle technology a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. Both of us uh, issue, tend to issue bicycle technology, I think. Um, I think that's the word. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, when I was started riding mountain bikes real seriously, uh, that was around the time of the advent of the suspension fork and then later clipless pedals, uh, were adapted from road bikes to mountain bikes. And I wanted none of it. What I, what I saw, what I rode was what I wanted to do. What I saw was what I wanted to ride. What I ride was what I wanted to feel. And it was this really, it wasn't like this pure thing. I just did. It was like, I don't know what's going on inside that fork. I know that I can move my elbows and my wrists and my knees and my back to absorb the shock of the descents and clipless pedals just seemed way too confusing to me. And later, you know, companies uh, like Anza and Proflex started to utilize elastomer technology. And that was at that point I thought, okay, now this is something I can wrap my mind around because what you see is what you get. There's not a bunch of, voodoo going on inside of the, the, the mechanics mm-hmm. of, of them. And of course, uh, elastomer, uh, elastomer clipless pedals, uh, were terrible and uh, elastomer suspension wasn't very good either. <laughs> and then the Judy came out, the RockShox Judy, and that was elastomer with a cartridge. And that made sense to my brain. And that was kind of when I, I, st- I got suspension and, and then I got the Shimano 535 clipless pedals, I believe, and some 747 hand-me-downs. And then I was like, okay, well, th- this works. This makes sense to me. But <laughs> suspension bikes in general, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And of course, as time went on, like the technology has developed in such a way that we are 
we have essentially uh, Steve Elms and I, uh, one of the founders of Independent Fabrications. He and I were talking a couple of years ago, and he said basically we've been writing prototype shit for like thirty years, and just now <laughs> everything is awesome. However, this recycling of ideas keeps coming back around. Uh, one I can think of is elliptical chain rings. When it was called Biopace, everybody made fun of them and it was a terrible fucking idea. And then a couple of years ago, elliptical chain rings came back around and everybody said, no, that it was the wrong kind of elliptical before. This is a, <laughs> this is total, like way more efficient power transference or whatever. It just seems like shenanigans to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's and Lucy now, and the football, isn't it? It's <laughs> Lucy and the football. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I haven't used the brand new elliptical chain rings, so maybe they are so much better than Biopace, but I don't see them as much as I did just a couple of years ago. And now we have uh, suspension forks for road bikes, just like in 1994. <laughs> <clears throat> But the internals are probably better than they were before. I don't know. Well, this is the thing. Like, the shit comes around. It's almost like they were like, oh, we had a great idea 20 years ago, but we just didn't execute it very well. But the idea is still good. We'll just execute it differently. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that happens is I think in, in the first time, like, uh, what well, 700C suspension happened, it was like directly out of Perry roubaix right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, look, D Dave, Dave Ostrand from Rock Shocks and Steve Bimke and a third fellow whose name I'm drawing a blank on, like they were the Rock Shocks support team and they were, they were at the Roubaix and they were rich. God, I think that was his name. Uh, they were the Rock Shocks guys. They, you know, total nine balls wearing leather jackets. And I got a picture of Bimke in like a giant Russian fur hat or whatever, <laughs> you know, and they were there in support of uh, Andre Schmiel, who I know he was one who was there yeah. was probably a bunch of people who were riding them. But he was. But that, he so was that made sense, right? That made sense for Roubaix. That's like, oh, yeah, uh, that 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 checks out suspension uh, bike for Roubaix. It, it does. And there were, you know, there were all manner of like full suspension road bikes that were developed for that race as well. But at that uh, time, but at that time, that that Roubaix bike wasn't a thing like other humans weren't riding those, you know, 700 C in those conditions. Right. Right. And the way that the the, the way that the, the say, for, the, for example, the wheels were built. I remember hearing a story about um a friend of mine worked at a shop in Oakland and he was a pretty, <clears throat> he was a pretty crackerjack mechanic. And Fred Rodriguez, uh, formerly of the Mape team came in and he's like, Hey man, can you do something with my wheels? These just, just everything feels like shit. And Mike said he threw them into the truing stand and they were four, they were built four cross and the spooks, the spokes were all super loose. Like they were built to be extra, extra strong and extra, extra spongy. Mm. Like nobody would ride that kind of <laughs> wheel on a normal basis, you know? Right. So there's stuff going on uh, with the, you know, with the builds and the and the maintenance and stuff, you know, of bikes for that sort of environment or that sort of event that the rest of us really have no idea about or would never see the light of day otherwise. Right. But now we've come now we've all evolved to be all road or gravel riders all the time. And now the bike company is like, oh, that suspension thing we did for Roubaix might make sense again. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm saying is, yes, they keep telling us that we get, we're going to get to kick the football. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Yeah. OK. I'm 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 with you. Yeah. I, I, if somebody, I, you know, I think Fox made a, like a gravel fork, uh, uh, I don't, maybe they still have it. Um, and I ended up with, my, I got my hands on one and I went through just, I had a, uh, one of the Raleigh stuntman bikes that, uh, Brian Fornis and I kind of developed. I mean, I just had a hand in sort of like the paint scheme and the concept, but, but he did all of this specking and the, the build out what product development 
And so I thought this suspension fork would be pretty bitching on this bike. Like it was like a proper, you know, what monster cross is, you know, is that's what people were calling them at that point. Right. And it took, it took, it wasn't just a plain fork swap because the front brake line was run internally. So I had to take the caliper off, uh, re-bleed the brakes, but it wasn't, I used the wrong brake fluid and then I fucked up the caliper. And then when I got, finally got everything back together, I put the front wheel in and the tire was too big. It didn't fit under the, the brake bridge. So I was like two hours into this, three hours into this project. And then I just hung the whole thing on the wall and never even got a chance, <laughs> never even got a chance to, to ride it off road to see what I thought about it. So I, even, you know, I'm kind of talking shit a little bit, but I, after all of this time, I, I've never ridden a suspension <laughs> fork on a road bike or a 700 C bike of any sort. So this episode actually spawned from a conversation you and I had like two months ago where you were mad about gravel suspension forks, but that conversation, <laughs> like that they were back, but that conversation ended with you saying to me, but you know, if somebody gave me one, I would ride it. <laughs> I would, I'd give it a shot. I mean, I, like I said, I've never, I don't know. I, I think it's, I just think it's curious. I wouldn't say I'm mad about anything, but it's curious <laughs> that the bicycle industry does have a habit of recycling ideas. And it makes me tired. Does it make you tired? It makes me a little tired, but if I had, honestly, if I had money to spend and I was like buying this stuff and I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they just, they sold me the same widget that I paid for 20 years ago and it still doesn't work. You know, then I would be <laughs> mad. Then I'd be mad, but I, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's a, just a curious component of, of the industry. What, so what is the current state of your technology? Do you, what do you have and not have? Oh man, uh, I got like the I got a bike that is so above my pay grade. It's it's not even it's not even funny. I got invited. Uh, I guess it's three years ago now to take part in this project that Shimano was launching called the Gravel Alliance, and they picked I think thirteen or fourteen bike riders from around uh, the country and and Canada, <clears throat> and we would go meet in different locations and do various events, do races. Uh, and it was initially, it was sort of R and D for the GRX group, which is the gravel, the DI two gravel group. Um, and then once we all kind of started with some GRX stuff and some Ultegra and Dura stuff, this sort of mixed bag. And then we all went to Shimano Canada in Petersburg or Petersboro, it's north of Toronto, uh, two summers ago. And we all got presented the whole complete GRX, DI2 GRX groups. And it shit's so tight. I it mean, it's so just, good. <laughs> oh my God. I, my buddy Robert built me a frame and they gave me the group and it's just, it's this, it's nuts. So <clears throat> I went on a bike ride with a friend of mine the other day and it's been, it's some of the steeps here are really steep and the roots are really rooty and the rocks are really rocky. And I'm just smashing my sternum on the back of my saddle going over some of this stuff. And I know that there is a DI2 dropper saddle, you know, which at yeah. the time, which, which, when I had an op, an opportunity to get it, I just thought that's just, I can't, that's just too much. <laughs> And so I talked to uh, the principal of, of the Gravel Alliance uh, not so long ago, and he actually had one. So I think like that is going to be the pinnacle of my, of my uh, access will be. That's like the newest thing that I know exists. I'm curious how many mustard high fives and wizard staffs you perpetrated at, at Shimano Canada before they were like... <laughs> Who invited this fucking guy? No, to, you know, to be honest, this is kind of a convoluted story, but I was on a, I was on a ferry up to Ketchikan, Alaska with my dad and, um, my friend millionaire Bob reached out to me and asked me if I knew this all happened simultaneously, but if I knew where our friend Leroy was and I didn't, and I was out of phone service for, you know, days came back and I I had a couple friends from Shimano asking me to be a part of this group. And just as I came back, I also found out that they had just found Leroy's body 
And so it was all too much for me to manage. And I told Shimano that I wasn't interested and I appreciated their offer. Um, and I also, beyond not being able to uh, really wrap my mind around um, what had happened to Leroy, uh, I just didn't understand why Shimano would want me. You know, they have really deep pockets and they can get anybody. Right. right. Uh, so why the fuck would they want me? Right. And um, thankfully, uh, Chris Jacobson, who is who is the Gravel Alliance sort of he's the point person. Uh, he was really persistent and kind of wore me down. Um, and then I finally showed up to our initial meeting uh, at Shimano headquarters in Southern California. And I just I, it just felt so weird. You know, they were giving me that I had my own work stand and my frame was already set up and I had this had a whole pilot Altegra. DI2 stuff and helmets and fucking travel cases and shoes. And I just, you know, like I've long, I realized through this process that I've long had a real um, sort of pessimistic perspective of myself. Uh, and I didn't understand, like, I didn't feel worthy. I felt like a dick taking any of this shit. I built my bike. I left all the stuff behind. And over the next couple of years, you know, Chris and I talked about it a couple of times. He said, I, we just thought you were like, felt like you were too good for this stuff. And I was like, that's actually the total opposite of what I was dealing with. You're like, like, I'm I not didn't fucking feel, Charlie's Angels, guys. Yeah, I didn't feel I didn't feel worthy of it at all. Um, uh, but eventually, you know, I, I finally got into the I finally got into the groove. And um, yeah, it was a really incredible experience. The people who I met the places that we traveled and of course getting to see like the inner workings of not only Shimano, which is long been my favorite. I just, I love everything Shimano does. You know, I think that the, the company's history is amazing. The people are amazing. The technology is fucking, it's like space age stuff and getting to be a part of that was, was great. Um, but I still like, holy shit, man, like it is right. an absolute, wonder of technology this bicycle that i have and and uh i'm very grateful for for the opportunity i i have often felt that way in the bike industry i've often felt like uh you know particularly when people have sought my opinion and then acted on my opinion i thought are they not aware that i'm a schlub <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe, you know. Was I this not is, there when they met me? <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you're not as much of a schlub as you, as you think you are, you know? Maybe not. Like, we've talked about this before, I believe, but, like, I'm really coming to terms with sort of the, pers the perspective of it all. Like, mm. I have the perspective of me. Mm. but I don't have everybody else's perspective of me. My perspective of me is not very favorable, but Same. everyone else's perspective I'm, of me. Not of you. I'm sorry. I didn't. It, it <laughs> My perspective of you is good. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> it might be, it might be different. Oh, anyway. So there were, there were, there were hijinks at the Shimano events, but, um, you know, I kind of like kept it under wraps. There weren't really that many mustard high fives. Yeah, to but answer your question, there's another piece of it too, where the industry recognizes that it's full of shit and needs some mustard high fives. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I definitely think that, you know, ultimately Shimano could have hired anybody, anybody. They have the yeah. proiest pros on yeah. earth. Uh, and they could have brought any of these people in to do this stuff and they chose us. So, um, you know, there was a, there must've been a reason for it and far be it for me to question their directive. I mean, in cycling, they are the Uber brand. They are above any single bike maker, no matter how big that bike maker is. Shimano yeah. is the apex cycling brand, right? Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, I used to live with this guy. I think I've talked about him before. This guy, Mark Dickerson, who went on to work at a Lockheed Martin and, uh, he makes rockets now, but he, he really sort of opened my eyes. Like he first turned me on to, to just how brilliant a company it was. And, and I think there's a big component of sort of Japanese culture that is so deeply rooted. Of course, it's a Japanese company, 
but failure isn't an option, you know, like they do just meeting with the designers and some of the engineers. It, it was, it was a fascinating glimpse into the inner workings of the company, but they just, they dot every I a thousand yeah. times and yeah. cross every T a thousand times to make sure that everything works. Of course there is the, uh, you know, the, what was it like the 1995 XT V brake that there's nothing you could do to make it not squeak. Mm. You know, that was, maybe that was one thing. Where but if you got to go back 25 years to find their last mistake, <laughs> that tells you something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a love hate with them. I love the way all their stuff works. I, my hate is really that they're so perfect. My hate is just like, God, make room for someone else. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what a lot of people's problems are. And I've used, you know, SRAM makes really great stuff too, but I always yeah, feel absolutely. like, absolutely. I feel like if, if we're talking from a, a one to 10 and I haven't used campy, you know, I've worked on a lot of campy, so I can't mm. speak with any degree of authority on that. It's really pretty. Campy is very pretty. I think campy yeah. might be the prettiest. Sure. But then again, Shimano's really pretty. And SRAM stuff, it's like, SRAM's like a seven and a half or an eight, maybe a nine. You know, out of 10, Shimano's always totally socking dingers, though. <laughs> they really are. They only hit home runs. And mm -hmm. I, I have ridden a lot of SRAM components and love them. Um, it's all good. It's. I mean, we're very lucky that all of that shit is just good. It's just good. You put it on your bike and it works and it's yeah. great. It's generally, <laughs> at least in my experience, it's all serviceable. I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's interesting that we are now in like massive production shortages. But in my perspective of the last, say, I started riding bikes seriously, like riding mountain bikes seriously in 1989 or 1990 and began really sort of, uh, investigating or, or taking note of the various, uh, technological advances that were available. And I feel like we're kind of at a golden age right now. Like there's so much cool shit. Um, but we're also in the midst of, uh, unprecedented supply chain issues. And that's kind of, I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of irony in that. Yeah, maybe. I do think it's very frustrating, you know, like Shimano, for example, just uh, announced uh, the new Dura-Ace and Altegra, but like you can't get today's Altegra right, right. now. So I'm sort of yeah. like, why are you telling me about the next next item up for bid on The Price is Right when we haven't finished there is no right. last product. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that just might be, that might be their, their that might just be their design schedule. Yeah. You know, yeah. I did ask my, I did ask Chris at some point a couple of months ago about getting a cassette. And he said, he said that he could get me one in June of 2022. Yeah. Currently and, they're and held up is, in, in a little town called go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's where like, everything well, you, is right now <laughs> you just better you just better make all your stuff last you know i yeah and i had to like i need i need brake pads like my my air my i don't know gravel bike my cross bike my hybrid bike my comfort right. bike i don't know what you'd call it like i ride that more than any of my other bikes and i go yeah. through brake pads like nuts and i'm reasonably certain i have bought the last brake pads in all of Washington state. Yeah. A buddy of mine has a shop in Australia and he said he had a bunch. So he sent me some, you know, oh, like, Jesus. it's, I know, I know it's, that's, it's just trying to make stuff last. That's modern living that, that there is no product, <laughs> but the product there is, is coming to you from Australia. <laughs> I don't know. Someone he said, cloned well, me a sheep and sent it to me because I ran out of sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> we're, he said we're on lockdown like they you know they get like it's like being in prison he's like well we get two hours a day in the yard and uh <laughs> you know he's like what the fuck am i gonna do i, I got brake pads coming out of my ears i like that that's because they are also a, a former penal colony um mm. no penal colony pun jokes allowed also yeah, I just I was just looking over the notes and I realized that the content warning is right in the middle of the the notes and I 
I was wondering what the fuck you were talking about. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) oh man. But this is how I do this podcast with you. I'm like, ah, just let him go. He'll get there. We're going to come around. (laughs) I'm so used to it being in a different place that I didn't look like, (laughs) I don't know. I lose the milk in the fridge. Don't worry about it. Um, I have this question for you about technology. Mm -hmm. Does it make riding more fun? So that's the first part. That's the first part of the question. Does the new technology make riding more fun? And if so, if it does, why are you and I so constitutionally averse? Is that the word I'm looking for? Averse to new technology. And three, is it worth the money? Because all this shit costs 10 times what it used to cost. So the first part of the question, because I see you straining, I see the look on your face. I was thinking about taking notes because I, I, I have a hard time remembering. Like, three if you part can remember question. The what an questions. asshole. <laughs> uh, okay, Does it make riding part? better? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yes. You know, like my body is 30 years older than it was when I started riding mountain bikes. And so, uh, you know, riding hardtails for years and single speeds specifically, like my body's tired, you know? And if I can go out and do a mountain bike ride on a bike that has all of the whiz bangs and the the hydraulic brakes and the suspension and shit, and then go on a ride again the next day and go on a ride again the next day, like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it does make riding more fun. And, and I think, uh, I, I, I like having suspension. I don't always use it, because I spend so much time riding a cross bike off road that I'm really uh, uh, particular about the lines that I pick. So then when I'm on a suspension bike, I'm doing the same thing, like, you know, the path of least resistance. Uh, really, I'm just trying to take it easy on my body. So um, I think, yes, it does. It does make it more fun. So then why? And I feel the same way. Like I shat on electronic shifting and then I got electronic shifting and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, an idiot. (laughs) Um, So and this happens over and over again. It happened with it happens with all the suspensions and all the hydraulics and all the push up bras and everything else that I've added to my scenario. But um, but why then every time a new thing comes out, I'm like, oh, fuck that. Come on. Well, uh, okay. I, I don't do that so much. I do sometimes, but honestly, like, I feel like the industry has a legacy or a, a, a real, uh, uh, exacting history of not, not vetting stuff, you know, like shit gets pushed to the market without consistent testing and because the the industry in general i feel has sort of a short um degree of hindsight it's just it's just a new new better mousetraps all the time not all the Mm. time but a lot of the time yeah and uh and it just like leaves me rolling my eyes a bunch so like okay you're like you're doing you're doing this (laughs) whatever here we go (laughs) right Um, but I, I don't totally turn my nose up at stuff. Like I, I realize that there's a lot of, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot of people are making a lot of new stuff all the time and coming up with new variations of old ideas. Uh, Josh Ogle just released, he's like designed, he was the guy who, uh, he was from Jericho bicycles and there's a really brilliant piece that, um, God, what, uh, well, what did this come out on? Like it basically he disappeared and he, he was making bikes and he disappeared and he battled his own demons for a while. And, and then he started making watches and then he started making this like thousand dollar uh, pulley hanger system for derailers. And everybody was like, no, it's fucking stupid, but it's actually super trick. <laughs> and, you know, there's like a lot of brilliant minds making a lot of cool stuff. It's just the, the cream's going to rise to the surface and. And I'm not the type of person that just because it's new means it's better. Like you're not an I'm early adopter. Not no, Jesus, not at all. Yeah. So I think that you know I get tired of of newer, better, faster bullshit being foisted on me. So I just kind of like when it shows up, I I wait. 
and I wait for to, to see what other people think of it, you know, before I spend my hard-earned cash on something. Or get invited to be on the Shimano Super Friends team. Or get invited to be on the Shimano Super Friends team. I mean, yeah. God, in a million years, I would never have that kind of technology uh, at my in in my possession. So right, I was re- again super grateful, really lucky. Uh, so that's the long answer, I suppose. I'm just. I don't trust the industry, but I do implicitly. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's this weird situation. Like if we say a bunch of negative shit about new technology, are we huge hypocrites if we accept that technology from a company because we're on some, I'm, I'm going to use the word influencers, even yeah. though it really hurts to say, but then we end up really liking the technology. Like, are we huge hypocrites? Like, I think this, I can't do a, sh- a show about technology without saying that I'm a huge hypocrite. Like every single time I'm like, just leave the fucking bike alone. I'm still learning how to ride it. <laughs> you keep changing it. And then I suck at it again and I have to relearn uh, and just leave it the fuck alone. But then I get the new thing and I'm like, oh, but this is better. Yeah, but if the new thing is trick, then the new thing is always trick. Yeah, new thing isn't always trick. Sometimes the new thing is stupid, and that's the. I mean, that's that's the rub. Like it's it's really up to it's really up to you to to figure it out. And if it works for you and you love it, killer. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you and you don't love it, then then that's so. Then there then there's that. But I think that I think that after ha- having seen the brand new bells and whistles getting trotted out over and over and over and over again, you become a little suspicious because it's not a lot of the times the shit just doesn't work, you know? Yeah. And, and we as the consumers are kind of left holding the bag. So that, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just suspicious cause, cause it's my nature. What was the third part of the question? Oh, is it worth the money? And and as a highly paid pet portraitist, <laughs> you need to. <laughs> uh, uh, I you know fuck. I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, if it works, if it works good, then yeah, it's totally worth the money. But you know, I'm like, I'm like, this. I'm in the same boat as as most people. Like, I I trade my existence for a paycheck. And so when I trade my paycheck for goods and services, I want to be damn sure that the goods and services right. are everything I hope them to be. And maybe that's, you know, that is part of my suspicion is I don't want to be uh, P.T. Barnum. You know, I don't want to be <laughs> one of the suckers that were born that minute. Yeah. So I'm definitely a sucker, though. I agree with you completely, but I'm fully a sucker. And since I ran 30 miles in the woods and I'm just an emotional um, vacuum now, like I just love <laughs> everything and all the bike parts and every idea is a good idea. <laughs> and anyone out there in bike universe that wants to send me a part because <laughs> because they think it's the new thing, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll have it. And then I I'll tell you how if, much I love it. <laughs> I wonder if part of... I mean, I don't know what my, I don't know what my reach is or I I don't know what my reputation is, uh, or if there is even a reputation that I have like within, uh, the industry, you know, beyond people who I know in the industry. But I wonder if there's some product manager who's like, well, we could send something to this guy, but he really doesn't like anything. Like he's just gonna, you know, like when, uh, when the bike snob first came on the scene, and I, and I was I was working for Swobo at the time. I was like, oh, I got to send him some shit and like make good because this guy is the fucking mean. And if I yeah. <laughs> if I strike first with gifts, then he will take it easy on us if we do something that he that displeases him. Like he right. was, you know, he's so he's got such a sharp tongue. Sure. And he was so he was becoming increasingly so visible. I, well, I thought you like, were going to oh, say vicious, not visible, but no, both. but I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he doesn't, he didn't hold back. He never no. held back with stuff that he didn't like. So I no. was, I, I just, sometimes I wonder if like, maybe, maybe nobody pays any, like nobody ever hooks me up with stuff because they assume that I don't like anything. Well, I, I wonder if they sit in a marketing meeting and if either of us come up 
they're like, hmm, I think we have the kook demographic covered already. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Did it, anybody who follows these people doesn't have any money anyway. Yeah. The broke, the broke kook demographic. Yeah. The, the poor and uh, without aspiration folks. <laughs> <laughs> I always shoot. I always shoot too high for. Um, I always shoot too high for. Uh, for like most most stuff you know instead of like contacting fox and be like hey you know can you guys like set me up with some suspension like i want them to let me drive one of their trophy trucks Uh, (laughs) that doesn't that still hasn't happened i like get near it at events and there's always like some security guard that comes out of somewhere that's like nope nope you no you gotta step back that no touch touch." i don't know why this reminds me but uh, the local rink ice rink here in my town was recently hiring a Zamboni driver mm. and they were like, they were like experience. We'll like, we'll train you. And I, I said to my wife, I was like, I, I, I think I want to be a Zamboni driver. And she's yes. like, no, you do. No, you can't be the Zamboni driver. Why? And, Because I'm sure it pays a kick in the shorts, first of all. And after you've driven the Zamboni for like three days, I think you're probably like, yeah, all right. I scratched that itch. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, you until you do it, I think I think that would be that'd be awesome. I should have applied for that job. I don't think it's too late. I mean, just get one in on. And I'm sorry if you're you're I'm sure your wife doesn't listen to this show, but um if she does i apologize for encouraging you to do this but i think it would be i think it would be worth it just to have that on your resume yeah i thought so on a similar score when we when we went down to atlanta for this race we were um leaving the airport and we were hungry and it was the day before race day and you're supposed to be real careful and my friend megna who i went down with she was like there's an ethiopian restaurant and i was like we definitely can eat Ethiopian before race day. And then I that pulled a wise. hard Yui and we went back and we <laughs> ate a shit ton of Ethiopian food because, because the bad idea is the best idea. A lot of times, sometimes until you are actually filling your dolphin shorts with your own excrement. That's true. At, at mile 20. And then you think otherwise. Yeah, definitely at mile 28. I was like, Oh, I'm going to shit myself and vomit. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great photo of a guy in a race and i don't know who took it i don't know what race it was but this guy has just splattered himself and mm. I, you know like in a way like the the sophomoric uh preteen in me thinks it's totally hilarious anytime somebody shits themselves but the person who has has experienced um such a physical duress that you think like it doesn't you've you've uh let go of pretenses it doesn't fucking matter like you are so in and i hate the term pain cave mm. um, but you are so deep in it that shitting yourself seems like a totally reasonable thing that might just lay down in the grass and go find a bush you're just gonna shit yourself and keep going that's that's dedication i arrived there i arrived there i became flatulent very late mm-hmm. in the race became I became flatulent. <laughs> I feel like that's sort of a constant state for you anyway. That's true. But <laughs> but at this particular point in the race, I was like, what's actually going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I was, but I was moving and I was like, what's actually going to happen? And I did uh, think, who cares? Let's just find out. Uh, and it turned out okay. <laughs> it was just hot air. Right, um, good. But, uh, yeah, I did reach that point. And if I had soiled myself and a friend of mine who was also racing did pull over at mile 29 and, um, besmirch the Georgia woods. (laughs) Did they have dinner with you the night before too? Uh, no, there was no Ethiopian in the, in Uh, their system. Maybe that was, maybe the Ethiopian was prophylactic in a way that's, that is, uh, that's a real gamble. I don't think I'd be willing to take that. I mean, uh, the first time I got to see Turbo Negro after they reformed, they played this show in San Francisco for Levi's employees. And there were they and they, you know, right. Weird. Yeah. Uh, Random. So it was at the Great American Music Hall. They hadn't played there since, you know, since before their breakup. 
So it was like the full regalia, you know, and I was really excited. And um, uh, they released like 75 tickets to normies, like <laughs> commoners, non-Levi's employees. And it was like Scandinavian Levi's employees. It was it was a really weird mix of people. But we were there and oh, I uh, so I didn't want to like gamble. I didn't want to risk like getting food poisoning or anything. So before the show, I, I like ate a salad. I didn't want to do anything that would fuck me up. Like I didn't want to. Yeah. And that was just to see a band. Like I, <laughs> I prepared, I, it was a diet. It was a specific dietary, uh, uh, restriction so that I would be sure not to miss seeing one of my favorite bands. Yeah. It time. was a dumb thing to do to eat Ethiopian food, but I, de- I, I thought to myself, Look, I'm here doing a stupid thing, like running, flying to Georgia to stumble around in the woods for eight hours is stupid. And so I was like, I mean, we're here to be stupid. Let's be stupid. Let's just all in on stupid. Um, Yeah. But having said that, I'm glad I didn't make hot water in my pants. We all are. Yeah. We all are, robot. Yeah, this time. Um, uh, well, we we really went all the way around the block on this when we started with yeah. running. Gave it the real reach around. To technology. Talked about music a little bit. Yeah. And came back to running and shitting ourselves. Pants cramping. So, yeah. Nice, nice work. Episode 13, everybody. In the bag. If you liked it and you like us, go to All Hell the Black Market and buy stuff. Uh, postcard. The theme music is Who Rides the Tiger? Get the record at All Hail the Black Market or check out Ozorn, uh, their new band, Bill's new band. Yep, all true. And uh, if you got any questions, I guess, uh, you know, uh, I was doing an advice column for the Cycling Independent, but when Kush left, um, I stopped getting any emails from people. So I don't know what happened, but if you've got a question that you would like me to put a little bit of stink on uh send it to steveel at cyclingindependent.com and i will maybe get it at some point <laughs> and answer it i don't know what's going we'll on we'll dig it out we'll dig it okay. out okay sweet i uh, will always as always thank you everybody for tuning in uh thank you for the captain of this ship sinking ship robot for um all of his words and wisdom and uh yeah Don't forget to suck it. Yeah. Don't forget. Bye.